Welcome to the I-29 Moo U Dairy Podcast. I-29 Moo University is a consortium of land-grant universities in Minnesota, Iowa, South Dakota, and Nebraska. This podcast covers timely news, information, and research for today's dairy industry. Welcome to an, another I-29 Moo University Dairy Podcast. I'm Kim Clark, Nebraska Extension Dairy Educator. And with me today, I have Alan Schlenker joining us. And Alan is going to give us some information on cybersecurity. Uh, so Alan, welcome to the I-29 Moo University Dairy Podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Kim. I appreciate the time today. So yeah, my name is Alan Schlenker and I'm with Marsh and McLennan Agency out of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I'm a risk consultant. So my job is to go out and and help businesses. uh, And I do a lot of work in the dairy world, kind of identify what their risks are and then help them uh, address those risks, whether it be property or auto or general liability. Um, And today we're going to talk specifically about cyber a little bit and and the emerging uh, trends in cyber coverage and uh, cyber exposures that a lot of the dairies may not be considering at this time and uh, see if we can't help provide them some direction. So when it comes to talking about cyber with their current agent, they can make a fully informed decision as to whether or not they want to pick that coverage up or not. And Alan, I was introduced to you earlier this year, actually in February at the annual Nebraska State Dairy Association Convention. We were having our Dairy Girl Network event and I had a speaker lined up that at the last minute had to cancel and you happened to pop in the room at just the right time because you were interested and I ended up you, you gave us great information on cybersecurity. And we had about, I don't know, a couple dozen ladies in the room at the time. You provided us an overview of cybersecurity. Cybersecurity really hit home, especially in Nebraska this fall. I There were about 12 dairies, a dozen dairies that were impacted on cyber fraud. So employee information was released online due to hackers, financial information was gained online, passwords were gained online, and a lot of us don't really think it's going to impact us or really don't feel that our dairy is at risk, but really it's when we least expect it that cyber fraud or we're impacted by cybersecurity, right? That's exactly right. You know, a lot of the dairy operators, and God bless them, they they believe that since they're in rural America, this can't happen to me. When in fact, you know, it's their size business that are actually being targeted right now by cyber hackers. You know, when we spoke in February, that was really pre-pandemic. You know, I guess the full fourth is a pandemic hadn't really hit yet. And so everybody was still going to the office. Everybody was still kind of doing their thing. And then we get into March and uh, people start working from home. Uh, People start engaging more in online activity. And since the start of the pandemic back in March, cyber risk specialists will tell you that hacks alone have increased over 600% since March. And that's why you probably start to see more of these trends uh, emerging or these hacks emerging later in the fall is that people are looking for easy targets and uh, smaller businesses with less sophisticated um, protocols in place are easy targets for hackers to, to get in and, and uh, do some damage with. So that's really kind of where what we're seeing out there from a trend standpoint is, you know, people are online, they're 
they're working from home. They're doing uh, probably a little more online diversionary work than they should um, and not paying attention to the normal corporate protocols that are out there and uh, leaving themselves vulnerable to hacks. Have you noticed more hacks with COVID because more people are online and, and maybe maybe wandering within their web browsing, moving away from maybe some of their typical dairy browsing that they do. Has has the pandemic really increased the amount of fraud and online hacking that we're seeing? Well, you know, like I kind of said a little bit earlier, what we're seeing is the amount of hack, the attempts are actually going up. I mean, we've seen a, a 600% increase in cyber hack attack, if you don't mind a little, <laughs> a little play on words, uh, since the start of the pandemic. And, you know, and we're all familiar with big companies that you'll see in the media, you know, the targets of the world and the health healthcare uh, operations of the world that have a lot of data that people want to get at. Um, but what a lot of people don't realize, there are four, far more smaller companies out there that are vulnerable to cyber hacks than there are big companies, you know, and big companies have very sophisticated uh, cyber network security things in place to help prevent hacks. But really, it boils down to kind of one or two general things that allow cyber hacks to happen. And that's human error. That's people sitting at home on their home computer and an email comes in and they click on it and boom, that hackers into the system. I was uh, preparing for a, uh, a seminar that I was going to do last spring at the Central Plains Dairy Association on cyber vulnerability and stuff. And I came across an interesting statistic that I'd like to share with everybody and that a hacker will sit on a system on an average of 78 days before they'll actually take any action on it. So it's called dwell time. So a hacker will get into your system before they actually start working on it to try to figure out who the players are, who does what where, what information is available. So if you saw a spike in Nebraska in uh, this fall, those hackers are probably on that system well into the midsummer time range before they actually did anything. So it's scary to think what's out there. You know, we used to think of cyber as this big government thing, uh, you know, uh, that only the government had to worry about. And then we started to see it evolve into large companies. And now we're starting to see it evolve into uh, or morph into more of a security concern for the smaller companies. There are smaller dairies, the family family run farms that are starting to see some of these cyber attacks. I know just earlier this week, uh, my husband and I had just put the kids to bed and we were sitting down chatting, checking emails. And he said, oh, I just got this email from the bank. It, it needs us to log in and needs this information. And I said, we didn't do anything related to that. And thankfully, he showed me the email before clicking anything, but it was a potential hacker that could have gotten into the system. And I think we're starting to see more of that also. Right. So what, what you guys just experienced is what they called social engineering. It's basically taking over a website, making their, the hacker site look like your website in order to gather that data, that login, that password. Uh, you see it a lot in banking accounts, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, the other most common form of hack that we're and as ransomware. It's hackers getting into your system and demanding payment in order for them to release your computer system. Um, and that's probably the number one vulnerability most companies have is when a hacker gets in and holds up your system, you either got to pay them and hope they release it, or um, you got to just shut everything down and reboot and move everything to a brand new server. So it's kind of crazy. And I'll just, from a historical uh, standpoint, when 
we first started hearing about cyber, the average demand for a ransomware type hack was like $600. And it was kids, you know, on a weekend, Saturday night, staying up, playing on their gaming console, figuring out how to hack stuff. And if they got paid 300 bucks, they were happy. But now we're starting to see the sophistication actually come out of foreign countries like Russia, like South Africa, like China. And they aren't demanding $600 anymore. They're demanding tens of thousands of dollars out there. So just a quick story. We had an agricultural co-op in West Central Minnesota suffer a a hack. By the time it was all said and done, it was a $60,000 claim. By the time they figured out how to fix their system, fix the vulnerability and pay the ransomware, it was a $60,000 claim. So these are not cheap fixes out there. That $60,000 claim, is that the $60,000 the company had to pay to the hackers or to move everything over? So that was the total cost of the claim. So what that involved was the ransomware that we had to pay um, or the insurance company basically had to pay to get this release. Um, it also paid for the forensic investigation of the of the hack. So, And that's one thing I would encourage people who are listening to do is understand what your cyber policy, if you have one, covers. A lot of the policies out there won't cover the payment for the ransomware and they won't cover the forensic investigation to figure out how they got into the system. And that can be literally tens of thousands of dollars. Again, depending on the size of the dairy, depending on the sophistication of how they operate their computer systems, um, it can vary. You know, So I would encourage people to really read their cyber coverage within their policy if they have it. If they don't, it's something they really should be thinking about in terms of what would I do if a, a hacker got into my system and, and hit me with a ransomware demand? You know, So do you have the cash to pay multiple thousands of dollars. Well, we know most dairies don't have that kind of money laying around for sure. How can a dairy protect themselves from being hit with, with the ransomware? Sure. That's, that's a great question. What can a farmer do really to protect themselves? The, the number one thing is limit the amount of access that your employees have to the computer systems. You really want to make sure that you don't leave a computer open on a desk. So let's say you've got your computer open and you get up to run to the restroom or you get up to uh, do some work. You don't want to leave that computer open and vulnerable because somebody can sit down and actually work, uh, get into your computer and start letting other people in. Another thing you can and do And that is, would be unintentionally, right? Just from is. their clicks, it could be? Okay. Right. You know, they, they start looking at emails and they start clicking on things. And, you know, I'm guilty of it. I mean, at MMA, we have these cybersecurity tests and I'll get an email that looks like it's from a legit source. I click on it and you'll get the little bug that says, ah, 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 you shouldn't have done that. This is MMA security. And I have to go through retraining on security cyber protocols. So, um, so they're constantly testing those kind of things with us. With the average dairy farmer, what you want to make sure you do is, again, limit the amount of access. When you get up and leave your computer, lock it. Lock it out so people can't get in it. Use passwords to access your computer, and you want your passwords to be strong. You want them to be a combination of uppercase, lowercase. You want, you want letters, numbers, symbols involved in your passcodes, and you want to change those passcodes frequently. And by all means, do not leave a list of your passcodes alongside your computer on a notepad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, you'll be surprised at how many people will pick that up, walk off with that, and boom, all of a sudden they're they're involved, you know, access your computer system. So 
And I don't know where I heard this or why I do this, but I have a habit of every 60 days changing my passwords. Is that the time frame you recommend or is it shorter? What do you recommend for that? Right. From a, from a cybersecurity standpoint, you know, what is the right balance? That's a great question. Um, from our standpoint here at MMA, you know, we have 50,000 employees worldwide every 90 days we're required to change our passwords. Um, and that's to log into the system. So, you know, on a frequent basis, by all means, do not keep the same password year over year over year. But every probably three to four months, uh, three to six months is probably a good time frame to change your passwords. You know, talking to people, I, I asked them, where do you keep your passwords? Because it seems that every system has a little bit different requirements for the password, the length, the characters, uppercase, lowercase, etc. Some people have them on their iPhone locked into the notes. Some people have them maybe on their Google Drive that they access. Are those safe places or where do you recommend retaining passwords? Right. Those are probably the absolute worst places to keep your passwords. Anything that has online access makes you vulnerable. So if, if it's an iPhone, if it's a Google Drive, if it's an iPad, anything like that, your your best place to put a, a password or a keep your passwords is in a locked facility somewhere. If you have to write them down, keep them in a locked box, a locked drawer. Uh, you know, if you've got a notepad that you keep, just make sure that nobody has access to it that shouldn't have access to it. So yeah, anything, uh, iPhones are, are the worst. Those are hackable devices. Google drives are hackable devices. Uh, hackers are good. They're smart. Um, you know, they can figure out how to get into that stuff. So yeah, best place to do it is not online. So now, speaking of, of iPhones, and I know Androids have it as well, they have the face ID. You can scan your face and, and log in that way. Is that an acceptable form? You know, cybersecurity um, in general is evolving uh, as we speak. You know, um, used to be passcodes with uppercase, lowercase, thumbprints are used, face recognition. Anytime you open an electronic device that's tied to the internet, whether you open it with a facial recognition or a thumbprint or a passcode, anytime your phone is open, it's vulnerable. You know, and if you happen to click an email on your phone, um, they are now into your phone system. You know, they can identify that potential avenue into your system. So again, not necessarily recommended to keep your passwords, passcodes, and things like that on your phones. Anything electronic is hackable. Facial recognition will help you open that specific device. But if your device is open, that leaves it vulnerable to hack. So you have to be real careful with that. Good to know. Just when we think that our face is safe and using face recognition or thumbprint is is okay, there's ways around that for sure. Yeah, it's it's really crazy. And again, the the world of cyber is continuing to evolve. You know, ten years ago in the insurance world, nobody was talking cyber coverage. Five years ago, uh, big companies, uh, the targets of the world, the best buys of the world, all of a sudden when they started to see data breaches, started to raise the awareness of cyber. And now virtually every single policy, anytime we engage a customer, cyber is a conversation piece. It's basically what are you guys doing or what would you do in the event if, you know, and some of them might be relatively obscure hacks. I mean, uh, one of my dairies, uh, a hacker got in and stole all of his cow number ID tags. Big <laughs> deal. 
you know, not a huge deal. But trust me, if they're in, they can get to his employee files. And, and the identity theft is really probably one of the bigger areas of concern. If they get social security numbers, dates of birth, things like that, that's where you start identity theft processes. And dairies don't really realize that you as dairy managers and dairy owners are responsible for the security of that information. And if there's an identity theft breach or a theft that ends up in a breach where people are losing their identity, you as the owner of that data are responsible for the damages caused by those identity thefts. That can have major repercussions for the dairy. If there is an identity theft as a result, and they can pinpoint it to the dairy, right? Yes. Um, If there's identity theft from employee information, social security numbers, addresses, you name it, the dairies are liable for all of that, right? Absolutely. So they they have a responsibility to protect that data. If they don't protect that data, however they decide, you know, to do it and it leads to an identity theft, that whatever whatever is out there as far as loss, you know, if, if somebody loses their entire savings account, if somebody loses all their credit information, that can take three to five years to actually fix for that employee. Now, if you're a dairy with multiple employees, Take that number and that time frame times each employee. I mean, some of these dairies, you know, are hundreds of employees. Other of them are five or 10. Not only do you have the literally the expense of fixing the credit, whatever, it, it's a time suck. You know, these employees have to take time off to help fix their identities. So, yes, the dairy farmer is liable for that data. And it becomes a fiduciary issue, too. So uh, from a standpoint that there's a financial repercussion there. They are aware that cyber is an issue. If they fail to act to protect that data, you know, as we're talking about now, we're bringing this to light. If they just stick their head in the sand and say, I'm not going to do anything different and something happens and they had knowledge that they were vulnerable, guess what? That leaves the dairy farmer or the dairy owner susceptible to lawsuit. So, and nobody wants to deal with lawsuits (laughs) out there, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a real concern. But again, in talking to a lot of dairy farmers, they just don't believe this is going to happen to them, you know. And so I would encourage everybody basically to just sit down and talk to your agent about cyber coverage and what particularly could be involved and, and what it would cost to get coverage put in place. Yeah, that's exactly right. It, the dairies in Nebraska that were hit this fall, they didn't think it was going to happen to them. You know, it was dairies in size for milking 100 cows up to 5,000 cows. Um, they said, I, I didn't think it was going to impact me. Why would they target me? And it's not about the person. It's not about the operation. It's just about the hackers getting into the system and stealing information, identity theft. And so because they didn't think it was going to happen to them, they weren't prepared, didn't know how to react to this situation, didn't know the steps to take to resolve that. And it's really important that it happens when we least expect it. It happens when we're off guard. It can happen from social engineering to ransomware, identity theft. So it's everywhere. Switching gears just a little bit, let's go back to social engineering. Mm -hmm. Um, This is something that can potentially impact anybody and everyone, not just anyone who has a business, runs a company or organization, because it really anyone who's online or anyone who has an email is impact, could be impacted by social engineering, right? You know, going back to my husband showing me the email from the bank, it looked like an email from our bank that we bank with, but 
one thing that you know, I noticed was looking at the subject or not the subject line, but who it was from. There was just one little shift in letters. Yep. And that was really the key for me. You know, that's one of the first things I look at is, is the email address correct? They'll switch letters, they'll change numbers. If you go to the reply and look at that, it's the information is incorrect. It's completely directed to someone completely different. Yeah, that's that's real common, you know, and, and it takes a sharp eye and you just have to sit and analyze that email and say, why would this bank be reaching out to me? Most banks are going to send you, if there's any kind of uh, anomaly within your system, they'll send you a certified letter. They won't call you on the phone and ask you for your information. They're going to send you a letter saying, hey, we believe that you've been hacked um, or there has been a data breach. They won't send you an email and ask you to log in or you know put in your password or verify information. You're going to get a letter. You will not get phone calls. And, and this goes for basically any corporation that is as uh, dealing with a cyber type attack uh, or a cyber situation is there's just always something like you said, a little bit off about the address. Um, those companies will contact you via mail uh, before they'll actually reach out to you either by a phone. I don't know how many calls I've had about expiring my vehicle, <laughs> you know, mm. and uh, or, you know, how many times I've been threatened with arrest uh, because I have an outstanding warrant in Texas. I'm sorry, I haven't been to Texas in many, many years. And I'm pretty sure I didn't break the law the last time I was down there. But, you know, it's just it's it's the brazen um, arrogance of these hackers to think we're all that vulnerable. But it works. People fall. They fall for it. And guess what? You know, they there's money being paid and that's why they keep doing it because they're successful. Yeah, exactly. And I can't tell you how many phone calls I used to get. I haven't received them recently from the IRS. They right. were claiming they were from the IRS and I, you know, owed them money. And uh, everyone should know that anything from the IRS, they will send via mail. You will never right. get a phone call or an email from the IRS. So I want to make that very clear. But going back to your bank, banks are starting to very quickly pick up on fraudulent charges on your account. I know this is different than the cybersecurity and mm -hmm. social engineering, but I think it's important that we talk about if there's fraudulent charges on your account, banks are very quickly reaching out to you. I know last week I happened to have one. It was flagged because of the amount and I did authorize it, but thankfully the bank sent me a text and sent me an email and said, uh, we decline this. If this needs to go through, please call us nothing anywhere to click that it's approved, but call us or log into your account and physically approve it. So they are starting to reach out via text message or phone calls. So you're not always going to receive a letter um, if there's something from your bank. So I did want to make that point there, but it's still important to know if you receive an email from your bank, never click on the email if it says enter your password here, click here. You want to physically type in the address of your bank and log in that way. You never want to click from an email to access your account information. Right. And that, that's a great point. And, and one thing I kind of want to expand on that a little bit too is to understand that those dairy farmers, those businesses that have direct 
uh, file transfers or fund transfers, automatic withdrawals uh, going between the bank and the dairy have to be particularly careful because um, that's a point of entry for hackers. You know, if there is a third party vendor that is, you know, you're contracted with for service and they're going to do electronic fund transfer between the dairy and the contractor for work, that's a point of vulnerability. Um, and you have to make sure that whoever you're doing electronic business with and transferring funds with, they have good cyber protocols in place uh, because you don't want the money that is supposed to be going to ABC contractor uh, end up going to ABC hacker uh, on there. So I would encourage dairy farmers to be very, very careful about who they engage in electronic funds transfer payments with um, for their operations. And to your point about the credit cards too, credit cards, uh, you can actually dispute credit card uh, payments uh, or charges on your credit card a lot easier than you can on a debit card. So if you have your choice to make a payment on a credit card versus a, a debit card, we always encourage credit cards because those actually, uh, the credit card company are responsible to uh, take away any fraudulent charges on your credit card. However, once the money is gone on a debit card, guess what? It's gone. So debit versus credit, something to keep in mind. And uh, this is not my real area of expertise when it comes to that, but it's just something that we've noticed uh, from an insurance standpoint, you know, where can we get money back for our clients and the use of credit cards is much preferred over the use of debit cards out there because you can actually dispute the charges. If there's a dairy that maybe is interested in insurance for identity theft, cybersecurity, can they talk to their, their current insurance provider? Did they need a special policy? Walk me through some of that. You bet. Well, some of the policies out there that are written for dairies in general have some type of cyber package attached to them. And it's real important, again, that the dairy farmer, the, the policy owner, review that with their insurance agent to understand what it does and does not cover. Again, understanding that ransomware the payment for ransomware may not be covered. The forensic identification of how the breach got in there and the forensic accounting may not be covered, which are two of the biggest expense areas out there. So you can get, if the, if the inherent policy does not have it, let's say it's just a, basically a farm owner's policy and does not have any cyber coverage, you can buy a standalone cyber package from an insurance agent just like me. Um, most insurance agents have access to cyber plans or cyber uh, carriers. And I'll just list a few for you. Travelers has a good cyber pr uh, plan. Uh, Vasco has a good cyber plan. Beasley has a good cyber plan. And Chubb all have good cyber protection plans. And you're not looking at huge dollars. You can get up to a million dollars worth of coverage for anywhere between two to $7,000 a year, depending on the size of your operation, how many employees you have, what kind of protocols you have in place. Most of my dairies that I insure probably have that 15 to 50 employee range. And we're seeing policies range for a million dollars worth of coverage, which basically covers everything in the $2,300 to $5,500 a year range. So that's what they could kind of expect. A little bit smaller, if you're a smaller dairy, maybe a farmer operation, you want some cyber coverage, probably cost you a little bit less. So definitely peace of mind, little cost for peace of mind. 
Exactly. And, and again, it's, it's kind of a pay now or pay later type situation. You can buy an insurance policy up front that will take the place of you having to pay down the road. And if you take that two, 3000 bucks and you divide it over 12 months, you can see how much it costs you per month. But when you have the big cyber hack, not only do you have the hard costs of the cyber attack, but you have those soft costs. How much time does it take you to fix this time that you want to be doing to manage your dairy? The other area that's related to cyber that I think people should really consider is identity theft protection, not just for the dairy owner, but also for your employees. Um, there's a company out there called ID Shield that I would encourage people to look up where you can buy individual insurance policies for uh, or identity theft policies for your family members, for you, your employees can buy into it. It's relatively inexpensive. Um, it's like $8 a month per employee. Uh, a good example, a couple of years ago, um, we were being told that our daughter was trying to take out a credit card. Now, our daughter at the time was only like 13 years old. And we're like, yeah, I don't think she's trying to take out a credit card. Well, somebody had stolen her ID, her identity, and was trying to start a credit card in her name. So, of course, at the time, we did not have identity theft protection in place. So we had to deal with that situation on our own. But now through ID Shield, a company um, that you can buy identity theft protection for, if you have an identity theft, all you have to do is call them and they take care of everything. So it's basically you call and report it and they will fix the theft. They will actually restore everything uh, to its pre-theft status for you. And it only costs, you know, literally pennies a month, dollars a month to, to do. So something worth taking a look at. It's a nice little benefit that, um, farmers can buy, dairy farmers can buy for their employees as a voluntary benefit. You know, like I said, there are group plans available uh, for the employees, you know, eight, 10 bucks a month, something like that per employee. So something that if they're looking at recruiting and retention tools for their employees, that might be a little thing that um, helps them out. So. And Christmas is right around the corner. So it might be a nice <laughs> little Christmas gift for your employee. There you go. Little stocking stuffer. Yeah, absolutely. So. Well, perfect. Thanks, Alan. I really appreciate you coming on, talking to us about social engineering related to cybersecurity, ransomware, identity theft. Uh, so really, you recommend just kind of quick summary. When you're not working on your computer, make sure you log off. Limit who has access to the computer and files. Change your passwords. You mentioned every 90 days. No harm in doing it more frequently. Dairies should consider a policy, a cyber plan policy, insurance policy, and identity theft protection you can really get for pennies on the dollar. And that's individual identity theft protection. So might be something good to consider for yourself, your family, employees. That is another I-29 Moo University Dairy Podcast. Until next time. I-29 MooU is an equal opportunity provider. For the full non-discrimination statement or accommodation inquiries, go to extension.iastate.edu forward slash diversity forward slash ext.